Good morning. I'm Richie Sessions. Uh, Britton's my boss, um, and he's the real deal. Everything he just said, he, he actually does it, and so I'm very thankful for him, very thankful for RUF. Our mission on campus is to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve, um, and so we're all about Christ. We're all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so let's look together now at the gospel of Jesus Christ from John's gospel, John chapter 1. Verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open your word and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just make Christ clear and make Christ precious. And however you want to minister to these people, thank you for RUF. Thank you for Cornerstone Church. And uh, just help us now as we sit at your feet, Lord Jesus. Amen. So here's the scene. Um, Five o'clock, Monday night. Green's Cafeteria, Green's Cafe, rather, Green's Cafe, which is the kosher Jewish deli on campus at Vanderbilt University, right across from Memorial. And um, every Monday night at 5 is where I have my fraternity Bible study, back in the old days when we could meet in person. Um, And it started kind of small, maybe two or three guys, and then it grew. And sometimes we would have like 12, 13, maybe 14 guys in this corner of the cafe opening up the Bible and talking about Jesus with fraternity guys from Vanderbilt. Now, there was one student in particular that uh, was from a big city in the Northeast. He was a chemical engineering major, which is a, which is a it's so Such a difficult major, it's ridiculous. Um, He was the chair of his fraternity, and this fraternity that he was a part of was a top-tier fraternity at Vanderbilt. He was, for me, being in my 40s, an intimidating person. His ACT probably doubled mine. Um, And he would come to the Bible study with his arms folded like this every week, just his arms folded, just sort of just listening, kind of wondering, why are you here, right? And, and with almost this like sort of serious look on his face, just listening, here I am, this like evangelical from Arkansas in his 40s, 
talking about Jesus. And he was a skeptic. He was a skeptic and he had, he had come to this Bible study and he continued to come to this Bible study and he wasn't convinced, but he wanted to know more and he wanted to hear more and he was investigating the claims of Jesus Christ and he would ask questions about Jesus. And that's what we find in this passage too with Nathaniel. Jesus meeting the skeptic. And so we're going to see how Jesus meets us in our skepticism and you think about Vanderbilt, if you know anything about Vanderbilt, skepticism is probably a good word that comes to mind when it comes to Christianity or religion or beliefs or truth. You think skeptical of even truth claims itself themselves. So that's the ministry I have. And so let's see how the Lord meets Nathaniel and see how the Lord meets me as I meet with his student. Jesus meets the skeptic. Let's look at the first point, the skeptic. And the second point is Jesus meets the skeptic, and then so what? The skeptic, Jesus meets the skeptic, so what? Three points. The skeptic, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, this is verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so here's the assumption here is that Philip comes to Nathanael and gives sort of a, 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 a way of talking about the Messiah that shows that Nathaniel had done his research. Nathaniel was someone who knew the scriptures. We have found him of whom Moses and the law. So Moses and the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, it could go back to Genesis chapter 315, the first promise of the Messiah, and also the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament would be pointing to the Messiah. Here's what he, here's what he says. We have found the one that the old, our Bible, the, the, the scriptures, have been pointing to. His name is Jesus from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he brings both of those together. The colossal epic promise and some very upsetting and confusing news for the skeptic. That he was from Nazareth and the son of Joseph. So bringing both of those things together, he investigates, he searches. That's what a skeptic is. And he's honest. He's honest, the skeptic is. Verse 46, Nathanael says to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He sort of just sort of stops. It's just like the right across a record, the scratch across a record, just the needle just scratching. Can any, wait a second. He's from Nazareth? There's no way. See, Philip's excited about telling people about Jesus. He's excited. He has enthusiasm about it. And so he comes to Nathaniel and he says, I've found the Messiah. And the first thing he says is, Nazareth? Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. That's lame. Almost folding his arms like this. Now, some people accuse um, Nathaniel of being a snob here, and maybe that's the case. But I think it's more likely that it's, it's something a little different. He's actually, Nathaniel, we find out later, is from Cana. And Cana was as insignificant and as ridiculous as Nazareth was. And it's also in Galilee. Now, and if you're from a rural place like Galilee was, and still is to a large degree, a rural kind of place, I'm from Arkansas, there's no greater rivalry than two little towns in the middle of nowhere. And so it's almost as though... I wonder if what's happening here is Nathaniel is thinking, how could it be that the promised one, that the Messiah, the Son of God, that 
all of us have been waiting on for all of these years is from a place that is as dumb and as insignificant as where I'm from. How do I square that? There's no way. What do we do with this? He sees Jesus as being from a despised place. He sees Jesus as being from a place that is in the middle of nowhere, and he's exactly right. See, skepticism deals with the offensive parts of the gospel. It doesn't shy away from them. And so he even shows his honesty in how he answers Jesus. He says, how do you know me? In fact, the Greek is really blunt. It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? How do you know me? How do you know who I am? How do you know anything about me? It reminds me so much of this student. When we would talk about the gospel, when we would talk about Christianity, when we would talk about anything theological, we'd bring up any of these things, these basic claims of Jesus Christ, he would have very, and he was polite, probably maybe more polite than Nathaniel was, he was polite, but he would say, how does that have anything to do with me? How could you possibly, how can we possibly believe that what some man did 2,000 years ago can deal with the guilty conscience that I have right now? How can you square both of those things? The really honest questions. How do you know me? How can this be true? How is this possible? There's nothing more exciting for a campus minister to hear than that. And there's an openness to his skepticism. See, it's different than cynicism. Jesus, this claim that Jesus Christ could be the Messiah a skeptic like Nathaniel and a skeptic like my student means he keeps showing up. He keeps putting himself in the way of the gospel. He keeps moving toward the scriptures even though he has serious questions and he's very offended by it. He keeps putting himself, he's putting, putting himself in the way of the gospel itself. And, and if you minister in a place like Vanderbilt, and by the way, Vanderbilt is just a microcosm of where the culture's going. Culture flows downstream from institutions like Vanderbilt. You live in a place of true secularism. And true secularism basically means that there is no God and it's a given. And anyone who's sophisticated and anyone who's educated and anyone who is respectable knows that there is no God. You can have your religious services. You can do these things but everyone knows it's a given that people who are with it, who are on the inside, know that all of this stuff is hogwash and we need to evolve. We need to move on from these, these, these primitive ways of thinking. What does the skeptic do? He goes and sees. He goes and sees with all the pressure, with all is what Charles Taylor calls, all the pressure of a cool, monolithic, rational age. He moves toward it. And I see students doing it all the time. I've been on campus for six years. Seeing students move toward this gospel with real doubts, real concerns, with realizing that some of I have a student who, who's, who is a Jewish, and his parents, he could not even imagine what they would think when they find out that he's finally trusted Jesus Christ as being the Messiah, but he has. And he lives in a secular world. What does it mean? You come and see. You go at the hardest questions. This is what I encourage students to do. Go at the hardest questions. Go at the most offensive truths of the gospel. I think a lot of times as Christians, we're sort of so embarrassed of the gospel. 
We're so ashamed of the gospel. We think it's almost like this fragile little thing. But actually what we should do, especially like an environment like Vanderbilt, is you encourage students to go at the most offensive, the most outrageous claims of the gospel itself. And that's what this student was doing. At the suffering, of the death, the miracles, the eyewitness accounts. To be honest, that's a skeptic. And we are being called, not just at Vanderbilt, we are being called as Christians. And, we, and I'm your minister on campus at Vanderbilt. We're being called as Christians to boldly take this offensive and outrageous and eternal gospel to a secular age. So what happens when Jesus meets the skeptic? Point number two, the first thing he does is he affirms his authenticity and his honesty. Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Jesus was never sarcastic. He's not being cute here. He's looking at him and he's thrilled. Here is a guy who has not a phony bone in his body. Behold an Israelite who is not pretentious. Behold an Israelite that what you see is what you get. That's what he says out loud. Jesus had a real problem with pretense and hiding of all sorts. Whether it be behind intellectualism or religiosity, Jesus had a real problem with people hiding. And so he would just stop in his tracks when he would hear someone like in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, I believe, help my unbelief, thrilled Jesus. To say, I believe, and I kind of don't. I believe, help my unbelief. Is that not how everybody in here feels? I believe this, and sometimes I don't believe this. Jesus knows that. And he adores that kind of honesty. Because he sees our hearts, and he wants to be close to us. He loves it when he tells the story in Luke chapter 18 of the two men going up to the temple to pray, and one of them, uh, the, the Pharisee, the pious and respected man who has this very flowery, beautiful prayer, and, 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 and basically just tells the world how wonderful he is. And then this tax collector over to the side in the shadows, beating his breath, saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. Jesus said, that man went home justified. The man who said, have mercy on me. That's, that's, the, that's God's favorite prayer, have mercy on me. See, Jesus meets the skeptic and he sees the skeptic. And he loves the honesty and the brokenness and just how raw he is. You see Jesus like that? He sees through our skepticism right into our hearts, into our longing. See, that's what transforms Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, and by the way, I think this is pretty fascinating when he says, Jesus praises him for being so honest and authentic. And he says, how do you know me? Whoa! Isn't that a fascinating response? He doesn't even back down there. Wait a second. I am that way. How do you know that? And Jesus says to him, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now let me tell you something. Do you think Nathaniel would say that if he didn't mean it? 
See, the skeptic wants the same thing all of us want. is a safe place to land. He wants a place for his heavy, wounded, fearful heart. He wants what we all want as a kingdom. We all want it to work out in the end. We all want everything to be okay. We want somehow, some way for our sins to be atoned, for our guilt to be dealt with. We want somewhere for our hearts not to melt into sentimentality. This sort of like riding off into the sunset. We all want the happy ever after. And here's what Jesus is saying, that the happy ever after is from Nazareth. I saw you under the fig tree. Here's what he's saying. I saw you. I see you. And I know you. I don't know what he was doing under the fig tree. That's between Nathaniel and Jesus. But what he's saying is the same thing he's saying to all of us. I see you. I see and I have seen you. I saw your unformed substance as you were being knit together in the depths of the earth. I see you. And I'm the guy from Nazareth. That's what's so wonderful about this. Is both of these things are brought together. The offensive part of Jesus being from somewhere. A place like Nazareth that you can go to right now. A place as ridiculous as Cana of Galilee. That he's from a place with rocks and trees of people who flesh and blood, an actual location, an actual place on the map, a real human being. And he is the one who sees us, the one that we really want, the one that can deal with our greatest desires, the one, the one who can meet us in our greatest longings together. You see, he looks at Nathaniel and he says to him, you say you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree, but you'll see greater things than this. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Nathaniel, someone who would have known his Bible so well, would have known exactly. That is a very, very famous story of Jacob seeing heaven opened and the ladder between heaven and earth, this great ladder. How do we connect heaven and earth? That is the desire of every religion within the religion department, within the office of religious life that my, I have an office in and I meet with students is how do, we, how do we bridge, how do we build a ladder between heaven and earth? What, how do we do this? Do we do it by good works? Do we do it by being enlightened? Do we do it by being successful? Do we do it by trying harder? How do we possibly, do we do it by how earnest we are? Do we do it because of where our parents are? How do we do this? That's what this student wants. That's what every human being wants. And he says this, he reinterprets the story and he says, you will see heaven opened and the Son of Man, there will be angels descending on me. How does he do this? Through the cross of Jesus, through the finished work of Jesus. Concrete, simple, finite, accessible, as, 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 as accessible as a manger. The bread of life in a dog bowl as available as a manger, as available as the cross, as near to us, we can feel his breath, the glorious heavenly paradise brought t 
together in Jesus Christ. On Jesus. Do you hear that? On Jesus. That's what we need right now. And that's what the student needs. All of his heaviness. All of his fears. All of his doubts. Where? Not on me. On Jesus. Not on himself. On Jesus. On Jesus. On Jesus. And he kept showing up. Arms crossed. Until finally, after one of our Bible studies, he asked me, could we have lunch? And I said, yes. And so we had lunch. So we sit down. I could tell he's, he's, he's uncomfortable. He doesn't know what to... I can tell like there's something different happening to this person. And he tells me his whole story. And it would make you weep. The story of his family and the story of all of his broken attempts, what was really going on. You see, all the skepticism, all the skepticism was, was hiding this heart that just wanted to be saved, that wanted to be rescued. And so here I am over my turkey sandwich, finally seeing this person, and this person seeing Jesus, truly seeing Jesus, that he could be on Jesus too. That his hope could be on Jesus. You see, Jesus is saying to you, I got to you first. All your hopes and your fears and your issues and your doubts, you put all your questions on him. So what? Well, this student called me maybe a year and a half later. He had moved to Boston working some job up there that Vanderbilt students do. Real impressive job, I'm sure. And he said, Richie, I just want you to know, because I saw, I saw him change. That, that lunch was a, was a moment of this gradual change where he started to think Jesus was precious. And now he said, I'm in Boston and I'm going to a church. He goes, I've joined a church. I'm even in a men's group. He said, I went to a, uh, I went to a men's retreat. He goes, I, I don't do weird stuff like that. You know that. <laughs> he said, but these guys are serious. So this older man in the church invited him. He says, you need to go on this men's retreat. So he went on this men's retreat. And he says, I'm volunteering in the children's department. They've got me volunteering. He goes, I have a badge. I have like a badge with my name on it and stuff. What in the world is going on? But you, we know. Y'all, the gospel is the power of God. Not me. And it, it's invincible. It can't be stopped. Not by COVID. Not by virtual meetings. The gospel is the power of God. It, it changes people. And what is God calling you to right now? To lean on it again, to lean on his love again and again and again and again, your heart, to be, to be honest with him, to move toward him, to go at him with everything that's inside of you. Thank you for allowing me, by your support and prayer, allowing me to go to campus and do this. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this testimony. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you work through people like me and through churches like this and Thank you, Jesus. We long to see you face to face. What a day that will be. In your precious name we pray. Amen.